So I always start a Yutas Kisle for Brennan, and I, when I mean always, I mean for the past at least 10 years since I heard, more than 10 years, 16, 17 years since I heard the story the first time, because it's a great story that really demonstrates, I believe, what a Yutas Kisle Vyontiv is and what Yutas Kisle for Brennan is. You know, <clears throat> the author Rebbe said, I'm sure you all know, First, I should, I'm sorry, I'm not, I, I'm not being polite. Thank you so much, Rabbi Nubur, for having me, and Rabbi Bergstein, and everyone, Rabbi Brum, thank you so much for having me. I'm just excited to tell the story, because whatever. The story I heard from the person that it actually happened with. There's a Jew in Eretz Yisrael in Jerusalem. His name is Remendel Feigl, Remendel Fogel. And this Remendel Feigl, he has a, 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 a cradle of Beis Medrash in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim. And essentially it's for people to get into learning chassidus. After for other types of chassidic groups, etc. And he himself comes from a Satmar family. Now I don't know how much you all know about the Satmar chassidim. But Satmar and Chabad were not like love and marriage and horse and carriage. <laughs> and they didn't really, today Baruch Hashem, you know, today there are a lot of Samar Chassidim that are the biggest supporters of Shluchim around the world. So Baruch Hashem, it worked out well. But in those years that this story took place, which is in the 80s, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. So anyway, this Remendel Feigl had started learning Chassidus. I don't know if any of you ever heard of a Jew called Remendel Vechter, was another Jew. So there was a whole, a whole movement in Satmar of like an underground movement to start learning Chassidus. And this Remendel Fogel was one of them. And he went that summer that he, the story happened, he went to a bungalow colony. That's where, you know, many Chassidim, you know, from uh, Borough Park and, and Borough Park and Williamsburg are pretty empty in the summer. They basically pack up to the Catskills. The husbands, you know, are there during the week and then also go Shabbos. So he was in a bungalow colony. That's the minnow. That's what has to be done. But it was a Satmar bungalow colony. And he wanted to learn chesidus. He was sitting Shabbos afternoon outside. He wanted to learn chesidus. Chesidus Chabad. He wanted. He was learning a safe from the Rebbe Shab. And if you ever seen the the, the swarm from from the Rebbe, most of the swarm, the Chabad swarm, are like regular size, like yay big. So he took a Gemara, which if you've ever seen a Gemara, a Gemara is Yevig, and he sort of held the Gemara with the Chesidus within the Gemara. He's telling the story about himself. You know, he was afraid to get, you know, so he, he would held the Gemara. Yes? I'm sorry, but I just would like it if you could translate the Hebrew words that are important. Thank you so much for letting me, to, thank you so much for, 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 for pointing that out. So... <clears throat> So this, uh, so the, um, the, the, the books of Chabad, Hasidic philosophy, right, are about this big, like a regular sized book, like you would say like a, you know, a, a hardcover book. And a book of Talmud, you know, a tractate of the Gemara, a tractate of the Talmud is a much bigger tome. And so he was like afraid that this other, so to speak, uh, uh, antagonistic group of Hasidim would see that he's learning the Chabad Sefer. So he held the Gemara, the Talmud. Huh? Oh, so, she, so he held the Talmud so that it should look like he's learning Talmud. But he had the book of Hasidus like hidden within it. 
And that's how he was sitting and he was, he was trying to... All of a sudden, he guess he didn't notice, he feels something over his shoulder. And he turns around, and it's an old Satmar Chassid, who like, look, was looking over his shoulder somehow and saw what he's learning. Now this elder Satmar Chassid, so I don't know how many of you come from Hungarian backgrounds. My family comes from Czechoslovakia, and those that know the history, so the Hungarians were taken in 1944 to Auschwitz. And the whole Oilam, when they left Auschwitz, you know, even my family, like they, when they first got out of Auschwitz, almost all of them, my grandparents were, my grandmother always used to say, the biggest miracle was not that she survived Auschwitz, but that she continued believing in God. They kept Shabbos right away. But there were a lot of Jews that didn't. And a lot of them came to America and uh, were lost. So this Satmar Chassid, that Remendel Feigl was all nervous that he saw him, he thought he was going to like sound the alarm, he sits down next to Remendel Feigl. Now again, you have to sort of picture this is a Jew with a long white beard and long pais, you know, strimal. And he sits down next to Remendel Feigl and he gives a little smile because just the two of them sitting there and he says, you want to know what Chabad is? And so Remendel Feigl got scared. He thought he was about to hear a diatribe, you know, all sorts of negativity. You want to know what Chabad is? So I'll tell you what Chabad is. So this old Satmar Chassid says, when he came out of Auschwitz, he was one of those that wanted nothing to do with Judaism. Nothing. In 1947 or 48, he moved to uh, Canada. I believe Montreal. I think it was Montreal. And he specifically wanted to take a job in which he would have the least possible to do with humanity. And so he took a job as a milk delivery and, and newspaper delivery people, that his job would always be at night. That during the night he would deliver all these things, newspapers, milk, all these different things. This is in the 40s, the late 40s. <clears throat> and that way he would sleep during the day. And he had no, sh- no connection to Judaism, nothing, and he was pretty much alone or he lived by, he says, he's saying the story to Mendel Feigl, that I lived by myself, he was saying he lived like that for like a good 10 years, 15 years. Like completely isolated from humanity. And this Jew tells him Mendel Feigl that then one day, it was a cold winter day. Now, <clears throat> Montreal is always very cold, in, especially in the winter. And it's a very, very snowy day. Like, like a lot of inches of snow. And this Hungarian Jew tells Mendel Feigl that he was going around this route as usual, trying to climb around the snow. And all of a sudden, he hears singing. Now it's like 3.30 in the morning. But, you know, he hears singing, and it's like not like raucous, I mean it's loud, but he hears like they're singing like a song, like a few people singing. He didn't understand what it was, 3.30 in the morning, so he starts following the sound, again, because, you know, it's the middle of the night, he goes a couple of blocks, and all of a sudden he sees, on the snow, Hasidim, Chabad Hasidim dancing, at 3.30 in the morning in the snow. One of them was a Jew called Reperts Machkin. And Reperts had just, Machkin had just finished Fabrengen. And he just says Fabrengen usually goes till 3.30 in the morning. So in case, and you have to let your babysitters know, now is the time. So, and he sees this, Hungarian Jew sees these crazy Jews dancing in the snow. They're all plastered, out of their mind drunk. And Reperts Machkin, you know, sees this person. Obviously he didn't look Jewish at all. And so he said to him, he like said to him, hello. 
and 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 the Jew, this he said, this, he said, I said Shulam Aleichem, and Rapat Nachkin heard of Shulam Aleichem. He said he grabbed me, and he started. They they like basically force fed him, you know, waterboarded him with vodka, <laughs> and like he he said within half hour he was shikker dancing freilach, and it was a yutas kisley for Brennan. And he said that began his connection back to Judaism. And he said, obviously, he went to Sakhmar because that's where he felt more at home as a Hungarian. <coughs> but he said, that's Yutas Kisli. That's, a Yuta, that's what a Yutas Kisli for Brennan could do. And you know, by Hasidim throughout the years, and not just Hasidim, it was known by Russian Jews, Jews that, even Jews that weren't, so to say, Hasidim or even observant per se, it was always known that a Yutas Kisli for Brennan, especially the food, if we have black kasha, I don't know, if, the, the kasha of, of a Yutas Kisli Fabrenian, but the food of a Yutas Kisli Fabrenian, there were Jews in Russia that weren't religious, they would go to the Yutas Kisli and take food from it and bring it to family that was sick. Akadekaf, there was like this known Yutas Kisli Fabrenian was like, you know, it's actually in, in Lubavitch one time by the Rebbe Rashab, you know, we always say Hasidism, that Hasidism is very bad, you know, being internal and stuff, but one year by the Rebbe Rashab in Lubavitch, they, they made this thing that they set up for Yutas Kislev that they lit by the Febrengen. Obviously, they surprised the Rebbe Shah. The Rebbe Shah, by the way, in case anyone doesn't know, our Rebbe's father-in-law was the previous Rebbe, and the Rebbe Shah is the previous Rebbe's father. So the Rebbe Shah is really the grandfather of the Rebbe Tzimchai Mushka. So in Lubavitch, one year, so we're talking, the Rebbe Shah passed away in 1920. So we're talking, you know, between in those years, before 91. They set up that they lit, they put candles in such a way that they lit the one place and the fire spread and lit 613 candles. Like they did this stunt that somehow they managed that they lit this thing and, and it lit 613 candles to show that the Hasidus, that it, it illuminates Torah, that illuminates everything, that Yutas Kislev for Brennan could do. You know, and, and even in, in Israel throughout the years, there were. Prime Ministers, Presidents of Israel, they went to Yutas Kisik for Brennan. I don't know if you know, it was like literally, it's the most well-known, how many of you have seen pictures and stuff, but forget about Zaman Shazar, that he was at every Yutas Kisik for Brennan, but Netanyahu was a Yutas Kisik for Brennan's, it was like, a lot of Knesset members go, it's a known thing. What is it about Yutas Kisik? Why? What is it about Yutas Kisik for Brennan? So we know it's the Yomtuk of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe, B'Shtar Zaman of Liadi, the Balatanya, the founder of Chabad Hasidic movement. So we know that he got out of jail. So Yutas Kisid has like everything in Torah, has a lot of love. That, that because that the, there was this antagonism, there was this group once upon a time, there was a group of Jews in a, in a galaxy far away, there was once upon a time a group that used to be called the Misnagdim. <laughs> once, you know, there was, there was there were Jews that, that didn't like to see this. Many, many years ago, they're extinct, but it was a species. <laughs> it was a species that existed, you know, before about 100 years, until about 150 years ago. So anyway, so the alter, they didn't like the Hasidic movement, and we'll discuss very shortly why. And so they tattletailed to the Russian government that the Alter Rebbe was sending money to Eretz Yisrael. The Alter Rebbe was in charge of Kol Chabad. He was sending, what became Kol Chabad. He was sending money to the Jews in Israel. And at that time, say at that time when it was called Palestina, so at that time that it was under the Ottoman rule, the Ottoman Empire, right? It wasn't Palestine. It was under the, it was a, a territory where Jews 
and Muslims lived called Palestina under the Ottoman Empire until the British came. So he was sending money to Israel, and so these, these Hasidically challenged Jews, known as the Muslim, they told the Russians that the Ottoman is supporting an enemy. Is supporting an enemy, a, a, a hostile you know, uh, enemy, because Russia and the Ottoman Empire could do it without, have wars with each other. And so they put out the in jail, and they took him with a black wagon to jail, which was specifically made for prisoners that were going to go on death row. Dalton was going to be executed. And he sat in jail 53 days, and we know the story that when the Balshemtiv came to him in the jail cell, when Dalton was sitting there, the Balshemtiv, his teacher, the Mizritcher Magad, or Dov Ber, and his teacher, the, the Magad, the Balshemtiv, the founder of Hasidus, visited him in jail. And he asked them, why did I deserve this? Obviously, they had passed away many years before. But they visited him in jail. And by the way, the Alphabet said they visited him with a body, in their bodies, not just as spirits. Now, the Friedrich Rebbe, uh, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, once told someone to go check because that fortress, the Alphabet was taken to prison in the, uh, uh, the Peter Paul Fortress in, in St. Petersburg on the River Neva. So it's still there where the Alphabet sat and, and they checked and the, the Friedrich Rebbe wanted to know how big the cell is that the, that the three of them were able to be in there. By the way, this isn't a Hasidic thing. You know, coming back with the body, just parenthetically, the Gemara says that Rabbeinu HaKadosh of Yehuda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, our holy teacher of Yehuda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, after he passed away, he would come Friday night, back to his house and make Kiddush. And we might see everyone in he would He would make Kiddush for everyone. So we have that by Jews. It's not something so... Uh, I mean, it's, I was going to say it's not something so unusual. It is pretty unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be honest. But it's happen- it, it happens. It's not like a one-off. So anyway, so the Valshemtiv and the Magid came to the Alter Rebbe and, 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 and the Alter Rebbe said to them, why did I deserve this? So they said, because you're revealing Hasidus. You're revealing the, the crown jewels of the king. You're revealing the essence of Torah, which we'll speak about Mitzvah a little later, what Hasidus is, why there was such antagonism against it. What Hasidus is, because we have to appreciate what it is. You know, you can have a person sitting on, on uh, you know, on, on gold or diamonds and not knowing what it is. So they might be sitting on it, but you don't know what you're sitting on. So, you know, we have to know what Hasidus is. So the... <clears throat> Baal Shem Tov and the Magad said to the Rebbe, how could you do such a radical thing? You taught Hasidus in such a way that everybody should be able to perceive God's essence in your life, in your body, in your job, in your house, in everything. Hasidus is about changing consciousness and being able to reveal God in the world in such a way that was never accessible like that before. Like, like uh, Reb Jordan, Reb Yosef said that 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 that's why if one lives with Hasidus, one could smile at all the, I mean, all the time, but certainly a lot of, most of the time. So they said, how could you do that? Because of that, you went to jail. So the Alter Rebbe said to them, so should I stop? If I get out of jail, should I stop? Should I? So Baal Shem Tov said to him, if you get out of jail, you should know that it's a sign from heaven that permission was given to reveal Hasidus everywhere. And that was the 19th of Kislev. The Altover went out of prison. And so the simple, not simple, but the basic story is that the Altover went out of prison. But you know, in Torah, there's pardes. There are many levels of Torah. 
Pardes, which the word means orchard. The word pardes means an orchard. But in Torah, there are four levels of a learning Torah. Pardes is an acronym. Orchard, the word orchard is an acronym that stands for Pshat Remez Drush Sov. Pshat Remez Drush Sov. Simple level of understanding, homiletical interpretation, scriptural exegesis, and Kabbalistic interpretation. That was all in English. (laughs) 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 So, so too when it comes to the Alter Rebbe, Yutas Kislev, there are also many levels of understanding what the day is about. So one could look at it as just as something that, that one person, a tzaddik, a leader of the Jewish people, went out of jail. But that's not what it is. It's a day where the heavens opened forth. It's a day where literally, like the Rebbe Shab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad, writes in a letter, it's a day where the essence of God was revealed in the world in a way that God was never revealed before. That we could literally touch the divine. That when one learns Hasidus, one's able to change one's perception to have that consciousness. And so that's what this day is about. It's about Hashem saying to every one of us, every one of you, individually, connect to me deeper. I want you more. Hashem is saying to you, have me more in your life. And the way to do that is Hasidus. Is by learning Hasidus. And... Amit Hashem, I will probably sing a niggin, and then I'll, I, I talk way too much. I didn't know what you got yourself into. But I'm sorry? Oh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, but to understand, before we sing a niggin, it's not just a day about the celestial spheres coming down and God revealing Himself in almost a prophetic way. It's not just that. It's a day... You know, the Alter Rebbe in Tanya. I have here a friend, I'm not going to embarrass him in public, but for those that know him, his initials are PG. He drove me here tonight. So he always likes to say that Tanya is the only book in the world where the author says reading books is stupid. <laughs> Literally in the introduction, the whole introduction of the Alter Rebbe is based on saying why reading a book is a waste of time. And Alter Rebbe gives a whole slew of reasons. Because when you, don't, when, 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 when you don't know, you know, what, what to understand from the book. You can't learn the book. You don't understand the book. Or let's say you understand the book. Maybe it's not written for you. You know, the, the Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. So Taurus certainly has a lot more than 31 flavors. So there are different flavors in books. So you don't feel a connection to this particular book. So the Alchemist says, and you know, the Alchemist says, why am I writing, Tanya? Dalgrima says, why am I writing Tanya? Because literally, until then, people were able to access the Alter Rebbe and speak to him face to face. Yechidus, to have private audiences with the Alter Rebbe. But Dalgrima says, it's not time anymore. So this book is a set of... Oh, Shalom Aleichem. Gedvach, Gedvach. This is Rabbi Donath. Anyone that doesn't know is Rabbi Jeremy Donath. The Rav of the Shul in Fairlawn called... Huh? Darke Noam. And he's also a colleague of my wife. They work together in the Mayanot uh, High School for girls in Yeshiva for girls in Tina. So thank you for coming. I'm a little behind. He's driving home, though. But he lives in Fairlone. It's not a far drive. Here forever. So.
And then, as the Alter himself explains, that forget about you know the, the object. What about the subject? First, Alter says when it comes to the object, there are books that are written the, the object of the book. There are some written for some people, not for other people. But then also the subject, when it comes to you. The Alter says some people, their eyes are so dark. They're living in such darkness. You know, we have that times in life <clears throat> when everything is so dark, like the times we're living through now. And so Alzheimer says, when you read a book, if the subject, if you are not in a place to receive from the book, you're not going to get from it anything. So Alzheimer says, so why am I writing this book? And the Alzheimer says, I'll tell you why I'm writing this book. Because this isn't just a book. I'm, writing, I'm not writing a book for strangers. Those that I know intimately, that they pour their hearts. And Alzheimer says, I'm writing it for people that I know well. I'm not writing a book for some people. I'm writing for people that I've been with, that I've lived with for years and years, that have poured their hearts out to me. And the words that she uses, and this and that, we're going to say very quickly in Hebrew, the Gemara says about Rachav, the, the Rachav that anyone that says it would see carry, etc. The Alchemist, meaning that the Alchemist is using language from the Talmud that essentially is conveying the deepest level of intimacy. And so the Alchemist says, the people that I've spoken with, that's who I'm writing for. I'm not just writing a book, I'm writing to people that I know deeply. All right, so we could just close it. Thank you very much. So what does that have to do with us? So our Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in the 60s, you know, in the 60s, they started having it, Rabbi Yosef Weinberg started saying a sheer Tanya on the radio. Today, if you're familiar with the set called Lessons in Tanya, it's actually a, a written version of what Rabbi Yosef Weinberg was giving Hashem Tanya on the radio in the 60s. And parenthetically, in case you want to know how ridiculous the, the, those that didn't like our Rebbe were, how ridiculous, do you know that one of the biggest issues that Safner had was that they had Tanya on the radio? I, it's hard for us to imagine today, but they were so f- afraid of modernity, the Rebbe was the only leader the only Hasidic leader that on one hand kept to the, exactly the tradition and, and the connection as if it was 200 years ago, but was able to embrace modernity way before anyone else did. So there was a huge asnagdos. How could you put Tanya on the radio? The radio waves go in the bathroom. It's a whole Narish guy. <laughs> but that was how revolutionary Chabad was, that the Rebbe was. So anyway, so Yosef Weinberg started saying Tanya on the radio. So he asked the Rebbe, you know, he, I, I believe I, he wrote to the Rebbe a letter asking the Rebbe that he's about to teach the Sefer. And the whole punchline, the whole punchline of the preface of the book is that the is saying, I'm writing it for people that I know very well. So like he said, what, how am I supposed to... So out of Fabrengen, the Rebbe spoke. And it's actually in an edited Sicha. There's an edited Sicha in the Kutai Sichas. That the Rebbe knows the Rebbe didn't just say it once, he edited it, it's in the Sefer. What the Rebbe says, that you see from here that the Alter Rebbe was poyot, the Alter Rebbe caused, the Alter Rebbe had the metaphysical power to make that anyone that learns Tanya becomes Yoyde Makire of the Alter Rebbe, becomes someone that intimately knows the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe knows you intimately, better than you know yourself. 
Siyutas Kislev is also not just a celebration of God coming to the world. It's a celebration of a book being written and a powerful, essential aspect of Torah given to and the tzaddikim looking at you as a person and giving it to you. Bringing God to you. Knowing you personally. The tzaddik from the time of the Baal Shem Tov, there was a channel as Hasidus was bringing down God into the world with this innermost light of Torah, the channel of that was the tzaddik, the Hasidic tzaddik. We know Chabad had seven. There were other tzaddikim of other Hasidic groups. They were channels to bring that light down to the world. But the Nakuda of the Alter Rebbe and all the Rebbeim, all the Rebbes of Chabad specifically, is that they knew you intimately and they want to know you intimately and therefore Tanya is a book that will speak to you because it's written by somebody that knows who you are. And I promised I would shut up, but <laughs> one more story and then we'll sing. Just to understand how much the Alter Rebbe cared about us and how this Yutas Kislev celebration and, and the beauty of Yutas Kislev for bringing is so much more than just commemorating once upon a time in a, you know, in a, in a shtetl far away. So, the Alter Rebbe, those that, you know, passed away in 1812. Just to give a story, and with this I'll shut up with a story. The Alter Rebbe passed away in 1812. It's a fascinating story, which maybe we'll get to in a couple of hours. <laughs> if we have time. Um, but Alter Rebbe actually died by running away from Napoleon. Oh, I was going to say that. No, no, good, good, say what? Go ahead. What were you going to say? It's a forbidden. You're allowed to say whatever you want. <laughs> what did you say? It was what? Was that the time? Was that, that was the time? Well, I'd love to say something. I have a rabbi grandson. Wow. What's his name? His name is Mayor Horowitz. Mayor Horowitz. Okay. Well, I'm Mayor Horowitz. What's your name? Lois. Lois. And he has a son, so that's my great Okay, L'chaim to Lois and Mayor and his son. L'chaim. So, again, I'm not going to get into history now, but if anyone's familiar with the history, after the French Revolution, there was a whole series of chaos in France until finally Napoleon took over and made an empire. And just like Yamashmai Hitler... We, you have to understand that these people weren't just people. They, weren't just, they, were, they had big souls of evil. Just like there are tzaddikim, there are those souls of evil that literally have power. They're neshama klolos. I mean, think of how does a person like Hitler come to power? He, his soul, it wasn't just that he was able to speak. Their souls have power of evil. And the Alter Rebbe saw Napoleon... As, as an evil soul. I think they just put out, came out with a movie about him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? They just put out, yeah. yeah. So, so again, the whole history, and he was able to conquer like almost all of Europe. And of course, the reason that the Alter Rebbe hated him the most was because, if you're familiar with the history of the French Revolution, Napoleon brought the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity, which is like what we now, we now call democracy, to the world. And Alter Rebbe hated him for it. He hated Napoleon because Napoleon tore down the walls of the ghettos. And he allowed Jews to have equal rights with everyone else. Alter Rebbe hated that. 
Who? For his time, he was right. But that's why our Rebbe once said in 1992, the last Yutas Kislev that our Rebbe was still, the the speaking, our Rebbe said that the Chiddush in our generation, of the seventh generation, is that Dafka in democracy, that with free, why was Alter Rebbe afraid of the poem? Why was Alter Rebbe afraid of democracy? Because when Jews were stuck in the shtetl, you didn't have much of a choice of what type of lifestyle you were going to live. When you were in a shtetl, when you were a Jew in a shtetl, you couldn't decide that you want to you know, become a lawyer. You know, that, you know, there wasn't an option of assimilation. And the Alter Rebbe felt that that was better. Napoleon wanted to let... But the Rebbe said, in our time, that even though there's democracy, everyone can connect to Hashem in that same way. But we'll leave that for a couple hours later. My point was that the Alter Rebbe was running away from Napoleon. You know, historically, one of the greatest riddles is why Napoleon attacked Russia. That's why he lost. He attacked Russia, he went east, and they froze in the Russian winter, and no one knows why did he attack Russia? Which Hitler made the same mistake, but we know, it was told the Rebbein taught that he was looking for the Alter Rebbe. Napoleon was looking for the Alter Rebbe to, to, to kill the Alter Rebbe, because Alter Rebbe was working against Napoleon. And because of his running away, he got sick, and that's how he died in 1812. And because he was running away from Napoleon, he went deep into Russia in a town called Piena, which I have no idea if it still exists today, and now there was buried in a town called Hadich. I was there, I, I once led a group of, uh, of Jews, we went together to, 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 the, to the graves of the Rebbein. If you ever in Hadich, Valtrev is buried, it's a hole in the, like, Mamish middle of nowhere. It's like, a, you know, it's Mamish like in the middle of nowhere. Now they already have a couple of buildings, I think they might have running water now, actually, in the city. But uh, it's not in the nowhere. So when the Alter Rebbe was about to pass away, and he knew that his family wasn't going to stay there, because they had just ran away from Napoleon, he knew his family wouldn't stay, live there. So they had to have somebody in charge of the grave. So they found a local peasant, a non-Jew, a Gentile, that he should take care of the Alter Rebbe's grave. The Kachavah, there was a non-Jew that took care of this grave for many, many years because there were no Jews living there. But I want you to hear the story. The Alter Rebbe was a couple of hours before he passed away. And he called over this non-Jew that the Alter Rebbe knew was going to be in charge of taking care of this space. And the Alter Rebbe said to him like this, I want you to know that in a couple of years from now, Jews might come here and act inappropriately, make sure you know how to take care of them. As Al-Turba said, in a couple of years from now, they're going to come Jews, if they act inappropriately, you should not have to take care of them. And, okay, a couple of years passed, and this one day, you know, Jews would come by once in a while and stop in the town, and they would want to go to Al-Turba's grave. So it was like a stop along the way, so to speak. So one time, two Jews showed up, and the, the non-Jew, this non-Jew sees these two Jews, but these two Jews are not... They don't look the way Jews are supposed to look. And they go over to this non-Jew and they say, maybe you have a, a piece of white meat, a shtikel chazer. They ask for a piece of, you know what a chazer is. P-I-G, right? So, so, so they ask, so, and the non-Jew remembered the Alter Rebbe. So he, so he says, sure, sit down. And the next thing they know, this non-Jew jumps on them and ties them up with rope to their chair. And then comes over and starts sharpening a knife. 
And he says to them, you should know, I'm, I'm going to kill you now. And they're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? He says, you know, I want to kill you. I don't like Jews. He gave some excuse, but I'm going to kill you now. And he started going to them. With an, and they couldn't believe what was happening. And he was about to kill him, and all of a sudden they yelled out, Shema Yisrael! They yelled out, Shema Yisrael! Because they were about to be killed. Shema Yisrael! They yelled it out. And then the non-Jew opened up the ropes and said, okay, you could go now. And he told them the story of the Alter Rebbe. He told them that, I, that the Alter said, I should know, the Alter Rebbe told me that I should know how to take care, to make sure you say Shema Yisrael. And these two Jews were like, Nispali, they heard the story that the Alter Rebbe, a few hours before he died, what was he thinking about? Two Jews that wanted to eat Chazer, how to make them close to Hashem again. That's what was on his mind a couple hours before he passed away. And so Tanya is a book written, Yitzhak Kislev is a day about a neshama that came to the world to care about every Jew. And we have to know, being part of Yitzhak Kislev for Brennan means connecting in a deeper way with the soul of the Alter Rebbe and his son and the Rebbe and all the Rebbeim up to our Rebbe. Because this for Brennan is representing the fact that Hasidus came to the world and declared that God is accessible to all. It's just a question of changing one's consciousness, one's Chabad, one's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And Mitzvah Hashem will sing a niggin, and then I'll continue bothering you later. L'chaim, l'chaim. L'chaim, There are 150 Jews, hostages still. Can't even imagine the pain of the families of those that didn't make it out. It was the selection. The first time since the Holocaust, there was a selection. There was selection, some got out. But we have to know that the tendency 
or the natural response that we might feel of feeling despondent and despair and even maybe guilt about sitting and being happy is also something that one has to fight against. I mentioned a couple of times in shul that when Hamas declared war, they didn't just declare war on the Jews in Israel. They knew what would happen with the CNN. They knew, Hamas knew what would happen around the world to anti-Semitism. They knew that somehow every idiot in the world thinks they're experts in military intelligence when it comes to Israel. You ask these people, they know exactly what Israel should do in the war. Everyone's an expert. Because obviously we know Israel is singled out. And so they knew that anti-Semitism would go over around the world. And they knew that we would be sad and get depressed, possibly. They want you to get depressed. Hamas wants you to give up. And so we always have to bear in mind, as we're sitting at Yutis Kislev for Brennan, first of all, that the light of Yutis Kislev should shine in all Jews around the world, and especially the hostages, and especially the soldiers, that they should have the light of Chesidus and the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid and the They should have that light to be the curious of all their enemies. And by us for bringing here, that gives them that light. I'm sure when Simchas Torah happened, I wasn't here in, in Fairlawn, but as soon as it happened, Simchas Torah, when we heard about it, I right away remembered, I'm sure you, you've met, many of you heard that in 1973, when the Yom Kippur War broke out, the Rebbe said that Dafka by Simchem, by dancing, is going to be the way to help the soldiers win the war. Because to be victorious, one has to be besimcha, one has to be happy. You know, Chassidim would say that an army goes out to battle singing a happy march. They sing a happy tune. Because if you're sad, you feel heavy. You feel despondent. When you feel sad, one barely has vitality. Simcha is life, is, is, is full of energy. And so our simcha helps them. Because the Jewish people are one entity. I, I feel on the other hand, how could I be besimcha if I know all these terrible things that are happening? So we always have to bear in mind what the Zohar says. The Alter Rebbe brings it in Tanya at the end of chapter 34. That the Zohar says, That on one side... Oh, David, Shalom Aleichem. Good luck, good luck. Oh, now you have two. Oh, Shalom Aleichem. We have friends here from Woodmere. Shalom Aleichem. Thank you for coming. Thank you. That the Zohar says that on one side of the heart, there has to be crying. And the other side of the heart, there has to be joy at the same time. We have to be able to contain opposing emotions, the Zohar says. The Zohar is talking about when it comes to serving God. That's what the Alter is bringing in in Tanya. The Zohar is talking about, are you supposed to feel close to God and be joyous that you're always with God? Or are you supposed to be crying that I'm far from God? Both. As far as God, from God's perspective, what's known in Chassidus is Das Elyon, from God's perspective, the way God sees reality, which Hasidus wants us also to meditate on, right? Hasidus is one of the meditations of Hasidus is to have the consciousness of God, to see reality the way God sees reality. That's known as Das Elyon, the higher consciousness. 
And so mitzad the way God sees reality, God sees that all there is is God. God sees that we're just drops in His ocean. And therefore we're always one with God. And that's why you could always be besimcha. Because literally, you, like, like Rabbi Yosef said, you have access to the source of all joy, to God. But on the other hand, mitzad who I am, like if I know myself, my personality, am I a godly person? Far from it. So mitzad who I am, I could feel bitter about my distance from God. That's what the Tanya, that's what the Zohar is talking about. But of course, we could expand that to mean the need that, that we have to be able to contain opposite emotions. <clears throat> Unless you think this is just starting now, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a guest over here, so like, you know, I'm always afraid by, in a, a, when I'm a guest at certain places, you know, I, I don't know who I'm allowed to quote, not allowed to quote. So, so I just, but if many of you probably are familiar, and if you're not, it's okay, but there's a song called Sunrise Sunset. <laughs> and what's the nakud of that song? My grandmother, my babi, Shalom, the one that survived Auschwitz, she loved that song. What's the nakud of that song? Right? One season following another, laden with happiness and tears. The Jewish people always lived with happiness and tears. It's not new. <clears throat> the Jewish people, that's why you all know, you know, what Jewish humor comes from. We couldn't survive if we, did, if we took ourselves too seriously. That's why, that's why Jewish humor comes from. Jews were able to laugh in the darkest of places. Because how, how else are you going to deal with life if not to laugh? The best way to do life is to laugh. They say, and maybe I'm pushing boundaries now, but there was a Zen master that every time he had, he heard about somebody that was suffering, that like lost a very close relative, he would go over to the person that's like weeping and look at them and say, and they would look at, and he would say, why the mouse wheel around? Made no sense. And everyone would just start laughing. You know, it would say, you know, uh, apples orchard, you know, uh, a porcupine tail. <laughs> and, and that's how we would comfort them. Because everyone would just would say something ridiculous. And everyone would just start laughing. I actually mentioned in Shul today a story. Just remind me of a story. I said in Shul today that I met Mechila for those that were there this morning. But there's a story of that in the town of Kushischa. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the different Hasidic groups. But most of the Polish groups of Chassidists today, Ger, if you know Ger, Amshanov, they come from a big tzaddik called the Simcha Bunim of Peshischa. And in the town of Peshischa, which was a city in Poland, there was a huge river, a raging river going through the town. Not like a, little, like a river in the middle of the town when there's a big bridge going over it. And one day it was particularly stormy and uh, somebody fell off the bridge into the river. And he started drowning and like screaming and everyone started screaming and crying and he was like trying, he couldn't, he couldn't, he was, he was about to drown and he was, he was drowning, he was crying, this guy was, was so scared and Psilcha Buddha Peshishka was there and he yelled out to him, send regards to the Leviathan, send regards to Leviathan. You know, the Leviathan it was, is a creature that lives in the depth of the ocean, right? The Leviathan was this huge beast that, that we found in our sources. So Tzim said to this guy who was drowning, he said, send regards to this Jew, send regards, send regards to the Leviathan. And everyone started bursting out laughing. 
And the guy drowning started laughing, and that was when he got strength, and he was laughing, and he was able to swim, and he was able to make it to the shore. Because of the simcha, because simcha is life, simcha is vitality. And so we have to have in our heart, on one side, we have to have simcha, because we have to be able to float. So seasons are laden with happiness and tears. Life is laden with happiness and tears. Sunrises and sunsets. Or like the dude said, stripes and gutters. <laughs> My friends from Woodbury get that. Not just Woodbury. Oh yeah? Okay, good. All right, good. Good, good, good. Okay. It's good to know we have dudists here also. Fine, fine. <laughs> So therefore, we're going to acknowledge those Jews in Eretz Yisrael. And we know that we have crying on one side of the heart, but at the same time, we know that our void has to be to laugh and to sing and to be besimcha. At the same time. So when we come to be able to open our heart in such a way, you know, one has to expand one's consciousness. And that's what Hasidus is. And so when we come to Fabrenu Teskizov, it's important, like I mentioned before, to really appreciate what Hasidus is. Everyone talks about Hasidus so much, but what is it, Tak? You know, what is Hasidus? Why was it so revolutionary? What was so revolutionary about it? And so the Lubavitch Rebbe, our Rebbe, said in 1966, Yutas Kislev, the Rebbe gave a talk, which later was written down in a book called On the Essence of Hasidus. Kuntras in Yom Shalteras Hasidus. It's a book that you can now purchase in English, on the Essence of Chassidus. It's an unbelievable book. And on many levels. But the Rebbe asked there, the very beginning is, what is inyana, inyana shoteras chassidus? What is the essence of chassidus? What is chassidus? That we're celebrating, we're sitting here on a Saturday night. What is it we're celebrating? What is it that around the world, Jews are all around the world celebrating it? Because you know, we have to know, you know we're not the only Jews celebrating it right now. Literally, you know that every place on the globe, at least six continents, people are celebrating Yutas Kislev. Because the light of Chassidus spread to the world. So we're really doing something that Jews all around the world are doing right now. What is that light of Chassidus? The Rebbe asked the question. And the Rebbe begins by saying, you know, there have been different explanations of what Chassidus is. People have different explanations of what is Chassidus. You know, the most famous explanation of what Chassidus is and actually, if you listen, you can actually listen to this talk in a tape. You can listen to the Rebbe saying it. And when the Rebbe says this, he says, and even in Le'umazeh, it's brought this idea, meaning that even by the academics, by Buber, etc., those that, whatever, so meaning that this is the explanation given by academics, so, you know, but everyone, the, if you look at Wikipedia, this is what it'll say. That the Jewish people were in a state of fainting. State of fainting. You can imagine, you know, not that I'm Khalil making light of what we're going through now, because in all of our lives, if you're less than 90 years old, this is the most difficult time to be a Jew. So I'm not making light of it. But you have to understand that these things happen to our Bubbies and Zaydis for generations, and the government was the one doing it. In other words, it wasn't shot that, you know, Baruch Hashem today, Mashiach's about to come, and we know in all the words of the prophets, how often does Yeshai and all the prophets say, that when Mashiach will come, the nations will ascend with us up to the mountain of the Lord. All the nations will come to the temple. The nations that were with us. And that's why today, even though throughout history, you know, usually the anti-Semites were the ones in charge, 
as they are still in some countries, but normal countries, there are nations that are mainly with us because Mashiach is about to come and they will ascend to the mountain of the Lord. They'll come with us to the base of Mishdash. But our Babis and Zaydis, when they went through a pogrom, they knew that in another couple of days another one might happen. Which Taka also, if you remember the intermission of Fiddler on the Roof, so see everything comes together when it comes to Jews. Pogrom's all over. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, forget it. Maybe it's too soon. Fine, <laughs> fine. We make in my house, we make Holocaust jokes. My, I'm a, I'm a, my grandparents were all survivors. My wife's grandparents were all survivors. My wife's grandmother was actually experimented on by the Nazis. So we make Holocaust jokes and pogrom jokes all the time. So I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone, but it's my own way to survive. So those Jews that had these pogroms, you know, if you read, it's hard for us to imagine. I don't want to, you know, they're, they're minors here, but to get graphic, but the, the, you can't imagine what they went through. And at that time, in the 1700s, it was especially a dark time for the Jewish people, because you have to understand, most Jews were illiterate at the time. It's not like now where there's a yeshiva system, where there's a school system, there was no such thing back then. There was a yeshiva for like, the, the Bachram would go, you know, if there was a, a very talented young man, they would send him to the big city to learn, you know, there was to, to learn by some rub. There wasn't like institutionalized study. So most Jews were illiterate. And yet they were being hounded and persecuted and murdered and burned with chuli v'chuli for being Jewish. And at that time it was right after what was known as the Chmelnitzki massacres. Zeres tach v'tach. If you know history... You know, what the Jews, the, what the Holocaust was, happened in the 1600s. It was on the scale proportionally to how many Jews there were, it was a Holocaust. And it, it might not have been, they didn't have gas chambers because they weren't invented yet, but they had, you know, if anyone knows who Naomi Shemer was, Naomi Shemer, you know, from uh, Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, Al-Kalayla. So she used to, she said, in the early years, she said, it's written down what she said, that... When the Arabs start acting up, will miss the sterility of the Nazis. Will miss the sterility of the Nazis when the Arabs, you know. Because when these people, these Chayas, they, 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 they didn't just, you know, it was Geferlo. And it was right after the Shabtai Tzvi debacle. That the Shabtai Tzvi, if those of you that know, this false messiah, that literally had a huge majority, I don't know the exact numbers, but a huge, a huge percentage of the Jewish people believing Mashiach was here. Now again, it wasn't like it was like, they didn't have phones, forget about, you know, WhatsApp. So like, you know, it spread like throughout all of the Jewish people that Mashiach was here. It's hard for us to even imagine, you know, here there was Shabbatitzi, false Messiah, you could read about it. Fascinating biography written by Gershon Shalom. And it was like literally for years, like years, because these things take time. Like Jews were like literally packing their beds. And then he converted to Islam, Shabtai Tzvi. And it was, it was a horrible time for the Jewish people. So the Jewish people were like in a state of fainting. They were like fainting. They, 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 like the vitality left. The Jews were like mamish. And you know, it says in the holy books that if a person faints, one of the ways to wake them up, to arouse them, is to whisper their... Jewish name into their ear. If you whisper, person fainted, and you whisper the Jewish name into the ear, it says from that could arouse them. And so the Jewish people were fainting, and Hashem whispered our name into our ear and sent to the world Yisrael Baal Shemtev. Baal Shemtev's name was Yisrael. That was Hashem whispering into our ear our name Yisrael, send the light of the Baal Shemtev. 
And the Bashantav came and made a renaissance. And again, it's hard for us to understand, and it's important for everyone to know. Today, Judaism, as we know it today, Orthodox Judaism, right? Whatever Judaism, Torah Judaism as we know it today, is completely and utterly permeated with Hasidus, even if they don't know it. And anyone that's familiar with the history of the Jewish people sees that. Because forget about the fact that even, you know, Kalabach Minyonim, Kalabach came from Hasidus, and how much of Judaism today is based on that. And you know, today I learned by the Litvashi Yeshivas, the Hasidically Challenged Institutions, <laughs> and everything that happens there, they have Fabrengans, they have Nigunim by Davening. If you read the history, back then Judaism was very cold. They didn't sing by Davening. First of all, there were separate shuls for the Tamidi Chacham, and back then there was a hierarchy. You know, it was not like the Hasidists came to rule and make that everyone could connect to, and everyone connect to Hashem the same, but today everyone knows that because Hasidists brought it to the world. It was revolutionary at the time. It's a very important sociological principle to really appreciate what Chassidus says. You have to remember in sociology that any revolutionary movement, once it becomes establishment, people don't understand what was so revolutionary about it. I'll give you the best example. Anyone in this room think that a person should sit in the back of the bus because if they have a different color skin than you have? Think about how 70 years ago, people sat, they would literally, they would put people on the back of the bus, not let them come to restaurants because of the color of their skin. Anyone normal, uh, there are a lot of abnormal people, unfortunately, but normal people today, like, can't understand, like, like, that doesn't make sense. Because it became establishment. Same thing until the 20s, women couldn't vote. I guess the wife's not here. Huh? Right. I guess I guess they're still racist over there. <laughs> there are some Jews that are still racist, unfortunately. They'll, they'll discriminate based on I don't know the color of the eyes or something. I don't. Know. I, I'm not arguing with you. You're right. You're 100% right. Like I said, there are a lot of abnormal people in the world. And when you go back to your shop, when you see people in the world, I want to tell them about their behavior. Why would you tell them anything? It's not going to change them. Why not? People in the U.S. change. Huh? People in the U.S. change. People in the U.S. change? Yeah, now I don't know if you can tell them. You're talking about women, though. So you're right, but in Williamsburg, it didn't change yet. So, huh? I go to Williamsburg to protest. Are you? All right, we'll go together. Let's make a date. By the way, you should talk about protests. I almost got arrested a couple of weeks ago by the Washington, uh, the Washington uh, rally over there. The, you know those Natoy Karta? Talk about Natoy Karta, the ones that protest for Palestinian. So I, I, you know, I've seen them on the news, but I never saw them up close and personal. I, and I, you know, I spit at one of them. <laughs> and a police officer came to me and said, you try that again and take me back to the precinct. <laughs> anyway. So... Another great example, of course, is democracy. 
I mean, it used to be the normal conventional wisdom was that you all belonged to a king. Monarchies were the norm. Kings used to send thousands of people to their deaths, you know, because that king refused to marry his son to my daughter. Literally, there were, if you know the history of Europe, there were literally wars. There were, there were a, 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 a Austrian succession, the war of Spanish succession, literally wars that went on for years with thousands of people dying because one king insulted another one. And you were just property of the king. Today, democracy, that's normal. But at the time, it was revolutionary. Democracy, a government of the people, by the people, for the people, is revolutionary. But it's establishment, so it's hard to know why it's revolutionary. And Hasidus is the same thing. The fact that Judaism today, even by the non, the, those that don't identify as Hasidic, because today we know everything is very important how one identifies, <laughs> but even by those that don't identify as Hasidic, everything about their Judaism is permeated with, with Hasidus. Even the books that they read, written by authors, all get their stuff from Hasidic. So it's hard to, hard to see it because that it was so revolutionary, because we're like just so used to it now. But so it's grown. One of the things that Hasidus did is this renaissance, this waking up Jews from fainting. The fact that today, you know, you have Jews all around the world that sing by davening and the besimcha, and there's no longer a hierarchy, that all Jews feel like you connect to Hashem. That's all Hasidus. That was revolutionary. So that's one thing that's told that what Hasidus does. One thing that Hasidus did, did to, to, to help Khalisa. Then there are others that say, you know what Hasidus is? Hasidus is being ultra-Orthodox. Meaning, what does it mean ultra-Orthodox? And I don't mean as, as a term in, in, I mean literally, I don't mean that you have to like live in, in a particular place or be you know, called up by the media. It means to be as religious as you possibly can. That it says as to be lifnim meshura sadin. Lifnim meshura sadin means to go beyond and beyond the call of duty. When it comes to Judaism, I don't look for the easy way out. I look for what's real, what God wants of me. And I'll go beyond what I'm used to. I'll go beyond what I feel comfortable with. And even if it takes, even if it's painful for me. You know, the Gemara, the example that, that the Rebbe brings in, in Kuntras and Yana is that the Gemara says that a person does, that, you know, um, one is not supposed to put nails. If you put, you're not supposed to put nails on the floor, wherever, there's, wherever women could pass. Because... It says that if a woman steps on a nail, it, it's dug it up, nobody should know from it, except for, for the, what? Fingernails. 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 What did I say? Oh, nails. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What's it's That it could make an, it can make an adverse spiritual damage that could cause a woman to have a miscarriage. So... So that's why one shouldn't put nails on the floor. And yet the Gemara, so you have to dispose of them. And there are different ways of disposing of them. But the Gemara says, you know what a chassid is? The Gemara defines, you know what a chassid is? A person that burns their nails. They actually burn them. Because that way they know for sure no woman could ever step on them. And you know, the Gemara says that there's some kind of also, when you burn any part of one's body, it could have an adverse also metaphysical effect. But the Gemara says that this person doesn't care. This person so much wants to make sure that Chasham, that a Jew shouldn't suffer, even if his own detriment. Even if he himself will, will suffer to help that another Jew shouldn't. To put somebody else up above and beyond you. And that, of course, I don't need to tell you, is one of, that is one of the Yisraelis of Chassidus. 
You know, the Alter Rebbe said that it's worth it for a soul to come down to this world for 70 or 80 years. And you know, for our souls to descend to this world was a tremendous exile. <clears throat> it's hard for us to really think, but when our souls like, didn't want to come down to this world, our souls knew that to come to this world and be enclosed in an animal soul and a body far from God, before the soul came down to this world, our souls were, were standing with God, within God. We were literally within Hashem. So imagine, you know, imagine you, you know, you're in some huge mansion, you know, overlooking uh, a sunset in, uh, I don't know, uh, San Diego or something, or Los Angeles, and then all of a sudden they say to you, oh, could you do me a favor? I'm going to put you in like a dungeon, like, you know, a dungeon. And the descent of the soul is much more radical, much more radical than just from a mansion to a dungeon. And so our souls didn't want to come down over here. Our souls didn't want to descend to this world. But the Alter Rebbe said, so why do our souls come down to this world? Yerid Tzar Chaliyah, one of the most important rules in Hasidic philosophy, that every descent is for the sake of an ascent. There's no such thing in this world as a Jew descending, physically, spiritually, in any way, that's not for the sake of an ascent. Our whole life is one lech lecha. Our whole life is one journey to the promised land. And even those parts of our life that seem to be descents, that we fell physically or spiritually, you know, those times in life that were difficult, or that we fell into sin, chas v'shalom, all of those were all part of the ascent to Hashem. That's why the soul came to the world. But then the Alter Rebbe said, so you would say, what is that ascent? How does the soul get close to Hashem again? By keeping Torah mitzvahs, which of course is true. But the Alter Rebbe said it would be worth it for the soul to spend 70 years in exile in the dungeon of this world to do it one favor for another Jew. One favor for another Jew. Even in physical things and even more in spiritual. But to do a Jew a favor, you know what it means to do a Jew a toiva? To do a favor for a Jew. Hasidim knew that, that there's nothing you could, you know, if you watch now, if you watch some of those videos that are coming out from Eretz Yisrael, and you see the self-sacrifice of Jews for other Jews, like, it's unbelievable. It's, like, it's not just that, you know, these people went to the ambulance drivers, and they went into the battlefield, like, they didn't have to. So, that feeling of wanting to help another Jew more than anything else. I can just tell you on a personal note, my Zaidi, blessed memory, my grandfather, he was, who I was very close with, he was the type of person that there was nothing he enjoyed more than doing a favor for a Jew. When he passed away during Shiva, literally we had tens of people come and told my grandmother stories of what he did for them. She didn't even know. So the, to do a favor for another Jew, that is the ultimate thing that why our souls are in this world. So we should all know that. And so seemingly what Hasidus did is it came to the world to say, Hasidus came to the world to say, do as much as you can for Hashem. Go beyond the call of duty. Don't just do, have a Judaism where you're like Yitzhak, where Judaism just had a minimum. Don't have a Judaism that's just about getting, you know, getting the brownie points by God and doing what you need to do. No, take Judaism seriously. Hasidus comes and says, a mitzvah, you know what a mitzvah is? You know, there was a story by the Rebbe Rashad, again, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. He had a chassid who was, uh, you know, because if you learn Tanya, 
you learn chesidus in death, one of the things that you learn is that to, um, uh, um, no, to, to, to partake of this world not with God consciousness makes a person far from God. A person eats, a person is involved with the physical world without God consciousness, it brings a person further away from God, which we all understand. And so the Rebbe Shabbat had one chassid that would fast all the time. Like he couldn't eat. He couldn't eat. He was afraid to make him a nifra that would separate him from God. And he fasted so much for so long that he got sick and he was mamash dying. And before he passed away, he said that he regrets all the fasting that he did. Because it's worth one time putting on tefillin more than years and years of fasting. And when they told it to the Rebbe Shab, the Rebbe Shab responded, he's right, but you need all those years of fasting to really understand that. <laughs> you could say the words, but to really feel that in tefillin, you need all those years of fasting. So there's an idea of chassidus that makes us more connected to Yiddishkeit. Then there's another explanation of what chassidus is all about. To make a person that they, to, to be able to connect to God in one's emotions, to feel too connected to inspiration. What like Hasidus brought to Klal Yisrael joy and enthusiasm that our emotions should be on fire for Hashem. That also Hasidus does. And there's another explanation that Hasidus brought to the world that even simple people like us could learn the deepest secrets of Torah. That we could all understand godly concepts. If you learn Hasidus, you're able to understand what are the ten spheres. How does God... We know Hasidus is about... I would say, what is all Hasidus about? About... That only God exists. But Chassidus explains that. How from God's infinite light is there this bottle of seltzer? What has to happen from the infinite light of God to manifest as this bottle of seltzer? Chassidus tells you what to think about to understand that so that when you look at a bottle of seltzer, you should see it as a manifestation of the divine. And Chassidus taught us how to perceive that. But the Rebbe then says, none of those things are what Chassidus is. None of those things are the essence of Chassidus. All the things we said are things Hasidus does, not what Hasidus is. You know, imagine you have a 25 carat diamond. 25 carat diamond, diamond with billions of dollars, like this big. So you give it to a five year old kid, what's he going to say? Oh, a ball. He's not playing with it, a ball, right? And you give it to, let's say, you give it to a plumber that doesn't appreciate the finer things in life. He says, oh, I could use this to plug up a toilet. <laughs> And you give it to, you know, some other person, you know, uh, he says, oh, I'm going to use this as a paper holder. All those things are things that potentially the diamond could do, but that's not what a diamond is. So say to you, well, what is a diamond? If it's not to plug a toilet or to play with as a ball, what is it? Could anyone give an answer, what is a diamond? The point isn't what it does. The point is what it is. In Yon, the essence of the diamond is not the the external aspects of what the diamond does. That's not the essence of what a diamond is. The essence of what it is. So it's true, Hasidus brought a renaissance to the world. And Hasidus made that Jews are even more connected to Hashem, more enthusiastic with Hashem. And Hasidus allowed that everyone should understand the secrets of Torah. And Hasidus, according to all historians, including today, those that are Hasidically challenged, everyone knows that Hasidus <laughs> saved Klal Yisrael. Literally, Hasidus saved Paul Yisrael in every way. But the Rebbe says all of that is not what Hasidus is. It's what Hasidus does. But what's in Yon? What's the essence of Hasidus? 
Stay tuned. L'chaim, l'chaim, l'chaim. Want you to ask questions? Get up and come here. And the Balshendiv describes that there was a tremendous joy in the upper world, a tremendous, tremendous joy. And so the Balshendiv writes that I thought that it was because I died. Balshendiv says, I thought that maybe there's tremendous joy in all the worlds, all the souls. Balshendiv says, he thought maybe he died, maybe he wasn't going to come back down, that was the joy. And then the Balshendiv talks about that souls of the living and the dead came to ask him for rectification. It's really trippy. It's like it's unbelievable. The, the Balshem Mamish. Finally, the Balshem describes that he finally reached the chamber of Mashiach. He came to the chamber of Mashiach, and he went in to Mashiach and asked him the question that every one of us wants to ask: When the heck are you coming? He didn't say in those words, but basically, you know, what the heck is going on? Where are you? So Mashiach said to the Baal Shem Tov, you know when I'm coming, when your teachings will spread over all over the world, when when your wellsprings will go forth all over the world. Which of course, our Rebbe said many times that happened already, which is why it doesn't make sense Mashiach's not here, but we'll leave that for now, because like I said, we don't want to start crying. At the... So, but Lamaisa, he told the Baal Shem Tov that when your teachings will spread forth, that's when I'm going to come. And so the light of Chassidus is the light of Mashiach. The fact that Chassidus, the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov, is what will bring Mashiach is because it is the light of Mashiach. It is the light of Mashiach. The Torah of Baal Shem Tov is the light of Mashiach. So to understand what Chassidus really is, we need to understand what Mashiach really is. Because when it comes to Mashiach, you ask the person, what are we waiting for? Why are we waiting for Mashiach? What, what, what is going to happen when Mashiach comes? What are we waiting for? So some people will say, world peace, right? Sheikh is called Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And when Sheikh comes, there'll be world peace. World peace. You know, and it'll be, it'll be utopia. It'll be like, you know, John Lennon says, and imagine everything, you know, uh, except, for, except for the part about no religion, right? That, but everything else in John Lennon's song, right? Give me world peace. And there's going to be Madonna Mitsuyim Ka'afar, delicacies found like dust. There'll be riches, everyone will have everything that they need. There won't be any poverty anymore. And there's going to be, you know, uh, uh, cakes growing on trees. Almost like, almost like an Alice in Wonderland, like an Abdiel. And it's unbelievable. And, and what else is going to happen when Mashiach comes? Some people, well, the Jewish people are going to rule the world. Any anti Semites here? <laughs> We already do. <laughs> oh, right. The, the, the only thing between us and anti-Semites is when. Exactly. So, so, so the Misa, that Mashiach's going to come, that there'll be the Jewish people are no longer going to be like a sheep among, among 70 wolves, but rather the Jewish people will be based on Migdosh, 
And the Jewish people, you know, there'll be Malchus, there'll be the kingdom of, of King David, and the Beis Amigdash will be built, and they'll bring sacrifice again, there'll be this tremendous spiritual revelation. We're all going to see godliness. Those are all things that's going to happen when Mashiach comes, but the Rebbe says none of them is what Mashiach is. Those are also all things Mashiach will do. Mashiach will bring about world peace. Mashiach will bring about prosperity to the extent that everyone will be wealthy. Mashiach will bring about the end of suffering. Mashiach will bring about, you know, uh, 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 security for the Jewish people. The Jewish people being on a, the high, this high level. Like the Rambam describes at the end, the very last halachas of Rambam. You know, the Mishnah Torah, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah is essentially the whole oral Torah in one book. Well, 14 books, but in one word. <laughs> right? Like the Rambam said, and how does the whole oral Torah end? The Rambam finishes with what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. And he says that, you, Mashiach, Mashiach comes, all Jews will know God. We'll all know God. We'll be chacham and and tremendous wisdom. And the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. Like, like Isaiah says, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God like the ocean is covered with water. That's none of that. That's all things Mashiach will do. But that's how Mashiach is. What are we waiting for? What is Mashiach? Mashiach is God's essence being revealed in the world. Mashiach, the Nakuda, what's the essence of Mashiach? Like the Alter says in the 37th chapter of Tanya, that the purpose of creation, which I'm sure anyone that has been in a Chabad environment for more than three minutes knows, that the purpose of creation, the purpose of everything, is that God wants to dwell in this world. In this world. Rebitzak, are you back? Rebitzak, you're back? Okay, so now I can respond. And it relates to where Bitzig asked me, he said that he didn't like the mushal, I said before, that were all like drops in the ocean of God. He didn't like that mushal. He didn't like that parable. Because he said, what do you mean? That makes us feel so, sound so insignificant. That we're all just drops in the ocean of God. And the truth is, you're 100% right. But the fact that we say we're drops in the ocean of God, I mean our bodies, the world. Our souls are the ocean itself. Understand? Our neshama is the ocean. All of the worlds are drops in our bodies, are all drops in the ocean of God. Our neshama is the ocean. But ultimately, you know what Mashiach is? That the ocean wants to dwell in every drop. Dear B'tachtoyim, the purpose of creation, the revelation of God's essence in this world, is that the ocean, all the ocean, the infinite ocean, will be in every drop. Or for those of you that are familiar with theological uh, um, uh, language, God will be incarnate in our bodies. That is the Messiah. That God will be incarnate in our bodies. Literally, that's what Mashiach is. We're all going to be the sons of God. We all are the sons of God, and daughters of God. But then the whole ocean will be in the drop. Mashiach is God coming to the world. And that's what causes all those other things to happen. Because God is going to be in the world, revealed, therefore we'll all be wise. Therefore we'll all know God. Because God is going to be revealed in the world, it's going to penetrate the physical world to the extent that Madonna Mitzvim Ka'afra, that delicacies will be found like dirt. Because once God is revealed in the world, everything is perfect. 
All those things are results of God being revealed in the world. The 25 karat diamond of Mashiach is God being revealed in the world. All those things will result from that. There'll be world peace. Those are the results of Mashiach. And so the Rebbe says, you know what Hasidus is? Not just what Hasidus does. You know what Hasidus is? He actually quotes the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab says, Hasidus is, and now once I say this, you're all going to know exactly what I mean, is the Gili of Pneumius Atik and really a Saif Shabarad Law. Got it? That's the word there ever that Hasidus is, Pneumius Atik, which, just without getting too much now, because, you know, it's a little late, but, and we know in the spheres and the idea of how God manifests, the highest level is known as Keset, the crown. Why is it known as the crown? Just like a crown is not part of the body, it's not within the body, it's over the body. So the crown of God means those aspects of divinity that are not within the world, permeating the world, Mamali Kol Alman, but rather they encompass like a crown, so to speak. The crown of God, meaning just like by us, you know, we have our Chachma Bina Das, we have our revealed intelligence, but even according to psychology, forget about, you know, Eastern wisdoms, all, 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 all mystical wisdoms, we all have the crown, Keset. We all have those aspects of our psyche that transcend us. In fact, we know that What's revealed in our brain is just the tip of the iceberg of what our soul really is. Even according to psychology, the subconscious, unconscious mind is a lot more of who you are than your conscious mind. Right? So, essentially, we all have that crown. Right? The, really, all of psychology, especially Jungian psychology, is about searching the, the whole idea of what's in that crown. Those archetypes, those different, different ideas of the crown, of those, the unconscious. Anyway... So Hashem's crown, so to speak, is is Sayyidina is Hashem's infinite light. But then that crown of Keser has what's called Atik, which is, so to speak, the one wearing the crown at the deepest level. And then there's, even though it's beyond the crown, known as Ein Sof, God's infinite essence. Because I'm sure you've all learned that any manifestation, if you could speak about a manifestation of God, you're not talking about God. If you're describing God, you're not talking about God. If you say God is wise, you're not talking about God. You're talking about God as He enclosed Himself in the ten spheres, after Tzimtzum. After God contracts and conceals His infinite light, He then enclosed Himself in attributes, and then we could speak of God's infinite wisdom, God's infinite kindness, God's infinite strength. Those are attributes. But they're after Tzimtzum. They're after God conceals His light. That's why Hasidah says... Miracles? I'm sorry? Isn't that in permanent miracles? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Permanent miracles. Permanent miracles. Well, one of the things when Mashiach comes, they're going to be permanent miracles. That's another thing. It's no permanent miracle. Oh, yeah, well, it is, but not everyone sees it. When Mashiach comes, everyone will see it. It won't be possible to experience childbirth and then, and then sin at five minutes later. Because we'll see God in the miracles that are permanent now. So, um, what was I holding? <laughs> oh, ain't such a I was holding an ain't soft, of course. Where else should we be holding? So, 
According to Kabbalah, the highest level of God's essence, even before Tzimtum, I was going to say a Misa, that uh, so we see where Atzimus, God's essence is beyond symptoms before he contracts his life. That's why Yefton Hasidah says that God's infinite wisdom and mud and, and this piece of, of uh, broccoli, or not of lettuce, of broccoli also, but is the same thing vis-a-vis God. God's infinite wisdom is as much not God as this piece of lettuce on this Rabbi Newbord's plate. It's just after God contracts his infinite self. So that part, the aspect of God and his infinite essence before he contracts himself is known as Ein Sof. And Radla is the Kabbalistic terminology for as Ein Sof, as God is in his essence, is revealed. And so when the Rebbe Rashab says that Hasidus in an essence is the same as Mashiach, what he's saying is that Hasidus is the revelation of God's essence, which is pretty crazy, unless you believe in Hasidus. Again, it doesn't give you much place for middle ground. The Rebbe Rashab is saying Hasidus is the essence of God, which by the way, you could understand based on this, why some people are a little antagonistic to Hasidus, because that's quite a statement. But what does that mean in mind? What does it mean that Hasidus is Ainsof? The Rebbe says that's the essence of Hasidus. The essence of Hasidus is Primus Radla. Great. You know, pass the seltzer. What does that have to do with me? Well, what does that mean? Jeff doesn't say what that means. So the Rebbe explains. You see, when you look at Judaism, one of the most difficult things that anyone that looks at Judaism encounters is how many details there are. How many, how, how seemingly, so many myriads of laws and, and how difficult seemingly it is to keep all the laws. You know, there's an entire religion that was created based on the fact that it's impossible to keep the whole Torah. So there had to be a new covenant, a new testament. And you look at Judaism and you're like, oh my God, all these halachas, so look at these laws, how do we keep all these halachas? There's so much. And a person can get overwhelmed. And so the altar of says in Tanya in chapter 33, he says, you have to know that what you're looking at is not Judaism. You're looking at the garments of Judaism. When you look at Shulchan Aruch, when you look at Gemara, when you look at, these are all the garments of God. As the Alter says in chapter 4 of Tanya, that what is Torah? What is a mitzvah? Torah mitzvah is Hashem. Torah is God giving over Himself to us. Torah is God inserting Himself into our mind. A mitzvah is bringing God onto who we are. That's what Torah mitzvahs are. And the Alter gives a mushal. He gives a mushal. A parable. I was, I was gonna. I, I didn't forget you, Lois. I promise you. I know you're here. I, I would never forget Lois. So the author gives a parable to understand what it means to do a mitzvah, what it means to learn Torah. He says, imagine that you know there are millions. of king is standing there, and there are millions of people looking at the king, and then the king comes over to you and gives you a hug. You get to hug the king. There's no grab. Imagine that. That's big. Then you'll say, wait, but. But the king's wearing clothing. So not really hugging the king. So you're an idiot. Of course you're hugging the king. You might, be, you might be holding his clothing, but you're hugging the king. Because it's not the clothing. I mean, you're not hugging the clothing. You're hugging the king that's in the clothing. And so the Alter Rebbe says, 
You know what a mitzvah is? It looks like tefillin. It looks like a Shabbos candle. looks like a mitzvah. It's God in garments. It's God enclosed in these physical things. Torah, the stories of the Bible. Why is it a mitzvah to learn these stories? Like today, today we sat in shul, and we sat there in shul, and we listened to all the offspring of Asa. This aloof, and that aloof, and this one, and we sat there like good boys and girls, and we listened to Yaseis, and Pinon, and this, and aloof knaz, and, and thinking people will like have red lights flashing in their heads saying, who cares? Who cares? Why do I need to hear this? And so the Alkavah says, it's a good question. The garments of Torah, in and of themselves, Taka, why do I need to know all these details? Why do I have to keep all these details? In fact, the Zohar says, in Baloischa, the Zohar says, that if you look at Torah as just stories, the Bible is just stories, the Zohar says, the non-Jews have much better novels. The Zohar says, the non-Jews have much better stories than we do. Right? I mean, Stephen King is a lot more creative than Yechesko. <laughs> so, and much more gory too. So, obviously, that's what it is, is the king's clothing. The stories of the Bible, when you learn those stories, when you say with your mouth, when you hear in shul, those words being read, God himself is coming into you. God himself gave himself in every word of Torah, in every mitzvah. You might not be able to perceive it because if you're hugging the king with garments. Says the Rebbe, you know what Hasidus is? God without garments. Hugging the king without garments. The Alter Rebbe says, listen carefully, there's a halach in ksubis when it comes to marriage, which I'm not going to elaborate. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But the halacha is... That if he insists on wearing clothing and she insists on wearing clothing, that's grounds for divorce. Because the Jewish way of unity is no clothing. And so the Alter Rebbe says, in the Kutay Torah, the Alter Rebbe says that we have to know there's a way of connecting to Hashem when you're wearing a million garments and God is wearing a million garments. One could look at Judaism and just see all the laws. Just look at the clothing. And you could even be a frum. You could be frum. You could be orthodox. I've learned that I've known people in my life that are huge geniuses in Torah learning. And I've learned in places where you have people that spend 10, 12 hours a day learning and davening. And again, uh, nobody knows other people's hearts and minds, but as far as I was able to tell, I was with the person a couple of years, I don't think he thought about God more than for a couple of seconds or Shani Yom Kippur. I'm not saying this is a... You could be a religious Jew and not think about God. You could daven and go through the motions not think about God. You could look at Torah as just an intellectual pursuit. You could look at a lulav or a matzah as just something you do so that you'll get credit when you die. Some kind of investment plan. But that's called, you're wearing clothing, and God is wearing clothing. You're not revealing your soul. You're not touching the communius, the inner light of who you are. And you're certainly not being aware of what God is, in, essentially. God is in the Torah mitzvah. Connecting to Hashem has to be without garments. Without the garments of your intellect. And without the garments of, of the outer shell, the outer garment of Torah. But to know that when you learn Torah, you're connecting to Hashem Mamish in every word. 
And you do a mitzvah, you go into a mikvah, you're literally connecting with God's essence. But what? Chasidus is what reveals it. Chasidus. What's Chasidus about? Just like Mashiach is essentially about the revelation of God's essence and all the other things that happen as a result of it, Chasidus is, when you learn Chasidus, you can have a perception of God without garments. It's the part of Torah that just talks about God. Literally. It's not like, literally, what is Chasidus about? God. Torah mitzvahs, God. God. That's literally what Chasidus is about. How everything is God. And how you can feel God in everything. Take off the garments. You know, imagine you have like an 18-year-old, you know, boy, Chasidus is a young man, 18-year-old, is ripe old age, ready to get married at 18, as they did in the old days. I just mind myself of a joke. So one time, you know, a Chassidish guy, 18-year-old, had to go on a first date. Now, these, you know, young men, we mentioned before, Williamsburg and stuff, so they never spoke to a girl before they got on the date. So he says, he's about to go on his first date, so he says to his father, he's like, you know, Tati, what should I talk to her about? So he said, talk to her about family. Okay, what else? The father says, oh, talk about food. Okay, uh, all right, and that's it. And, the and if you run out of two, then to, if that, you know, you have more time, talk about philosophy, get philosophical. Says, okay, goes on the date, sits down next to this girl, you know, like barely looking, peeking, and there's silence, and after a couple minutes he goes, do you have any brothers? She says, no, just sisters. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Five minutes of silence. Do you like fish? <laughs> she says, not really. No, I don't, I don't like fish too much. Five minutes of silence. Finally, he's like, if you had brothers, would they like fish? <laughs> <laughs> How did I get there? Oh, yeah. So, so there's an 18-year-old man. It's time for him to get married. And so he asks his father, okay, I'll get married. Okay, fine. Gets married. And then after two weeks, he comes to his father and he says, I want to get divorced. I hate, I don't want to be married, I can't stand it, I don't want to get me out of it. And so, Father says to him, what, 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 what? So you kidding? Since I'm married, you know what I have to do? I have to wash dishes, I have to make sure the toilet seat is down, I have to clean up after myself in the bathroom, I have to take out the garbage, and he starts listing all his responsibilities. And so the Father says to him, my son, you're missing the point, that's not what marriage is. Those are the garments of marriage. Marriage is falling in love with that person. And all those things are ways to show that the person you love them. Marriage is a connection of person with person. And then all those details and responsibilities are things that you do to strengthen and show the love to that person. And so one could look at Judaism and see the burden of the law. The burden of the law. Judaism is so many details, so many responsibilities. That's not what Judaism is. Chassidus came to the world and said, you simple farmer Jew, you wagon driver, you should know, you know what Judaism is? It's hugging, it's being with God without garments. And that you could do everywhere at all times. Torah mitzvahs are the garments. But you could know that Chassidus is that part of Torah which is the revelation of God's essence 
Chassidus shows you to be able to understand how you're connecting to Hashem as you're doing Torah It's being able to understand how God is within all the garments. That's Chassidus. That's the revelation of Chassidus. And so, if we're sitting here at a Yutis Kisli for Brennan, we have to know what is Chassidus. Chassidus is God revealing Himself to us. And so to open up a Tanya means to partake of God's revelation of essence. That's what Chassidus is, God without garments. You know, there was a, a great Tzaddik known as the Munkatsu Rebbe. My family came from that part of Czechoslovakia. The, known as the Haledim Mincha Saluza, the Munkatsu Rebbe before the war. And he used to call, so most people call Gemara, Nigla, the revealed aspect of Torah, Talmud, Shulchan Aruch, Halacha, the law. Most people call that Nigla, the revealed aspect of Torah. And Kabbalah and Hasidus is called Nista, the hidden aspect of Torah. But the Munkach Rebbe used to call Gemara Nister and Kabbalah and Hasidus Nigla. Why? Because he said, in the Gemara, God is concealed. In the Gemara, God is Nister. In the Gemara, you learn Gemara and Chas you can learn Gemara and forget about the one that gave the Torah. And this is already something that's been being yelled for the Rishonim already. Rabbi Yoyna. Really, the Gemara already says. The Gemara already says, if, there's a, if anyone learned the Doran, there's a famous Rabbi Yoyna, and the base, the, know, there's a famous Bach about this, that one could learn Torah and just hold on to the garments. You could be an expert. You could have a person who's an expert of the garments of Torah. They could tell you exactly Every garment from, you know, what year it's from, what page it's from, you know, where these pants are from, where this shirt is from, where this page is good. They can tell you everything about the clothing. But forget about who's wearing it. See, this is about knowing who's wearing the garments. And see, this is about understanding that when it comes to the actual hugging of God without garments, then there's absolutely no hierarchy. When it comes to God revealing himself in a particular tzior, when God manifests in a particular form, such as the Gemara, such as a mitzvah, so then there are certain times you could do it, some people could do it, some people can't. There's such a thing as a rabbinic hierarchy. But the Baal came to the world, and, he, and it's actually interesting, one of my, my favorite things to point out, as a big fan of history, is that you see very often how Jewish thought emerges cont- contemporaneously with other secular schools of thought at the same time, and very often they have one and nothing to do, they never met each other. Like, really fascinating, like, you know, Hasidus came to the world, the Baal Shem Tov came to the world the same time that democracies began. The idea that all people are created equal. The Baal Shem Tov came to the world and said all people could equally connect to God. And existentialism came to the same world as the Kotzker. You know, the, 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 if you ever read from Heschel, a great book, if you've never read Passion for Truth, where A.J. Heschel, where he compares the Kotzker and Kierkegaard, you have the existential philosophers came the same time in the 1800s that Jews were starting to talk about the internal world and struggle of the mind, etc. So the Baal Shem Tov came to the world and made a democracy and said everyone could connect to Hashem. Because when it comes to God without garments, and you without garments, meaning the faith of your soul, and the essence of God are one thing. And to connect in that way without garments means, and that's why it's important, when you learn Tanya Metoshem, everyone here is going to start learning Tanya this year, because I don't want to feel like everything I just said doesn't have some kind of actual effect. 
But if you learn Tanya, I just want to recommend to you my personal favorite chapter of Tanya is chapter 33. Chapter 33. And I highly recommend, if you've never learned it, learn chapter 33 a couple of times, a good couple of times. Chapter 33 is the essence of the Amun of Hasidus. And the Rebbe also, in Kutisichas, a few times the Rebbe actually quotes chapter 33 as being the Ikra of the Amun of Baal Shem Tov. Chapter 33 of Tanya is to be able to meditate that you are in an intimate state of embrace with God always. That's Hasidus. You and God are without garments if you're able to tap into the Amun of your soul. Take off the garments of my rational thinking, my cynical thinking, my personality. If I could take those garments off and just have that pure amuna, and, and I don't look necessarily to like feel God in a certain way. A lot of times I want to, feel, I want to have a spiritual experience. I want to feel spiritual. I want to feel something. That's also a garment. That's not the essence of your soul. That's just a manifestation. But if I could take off those garments of anticipation of a particular way of experiencing, but rather have that amunah of God as God is without any garments, I could literally know that I could be resting in God at all times. I'm within God at all times. That's the amunah chasidus. That's what the Baal brought to the world. Revelation of God's essence. God without clothing. The God that's in the clothing of everything else. And the more that we're mechazik that and learn that, that's going to bring Mashiach. That is what's going to bring Mashiach. You know, there was a great Hasidic master known as Rupinchas Karatza. Rupinchas Karatza was a student of Baal Shem Tov. And Rupinchas Karatza once said a parable that one time in the middle of the night, a couple of hundred years ago, somebody had to travel from a one hamlet to another, from one shtetl to another. Now, in those days, obviously there's no electricity, so when the sun would start going down, they would light in the town square a lamp, um, and that would like light up for people till they, everyone got to their houses, till it got dark, and, and people went to sleep. Now, did he actually went to sleep when it got dark? So, by the way, uh, the Rebbe Shab also said once that that's his job to be the one that lights that lamp, a lamp lighter, to be the one to that chasidim of those lamp lighters. Anyway, so this Jew, this person, in the middle of the night. He had to travel, you know, the sun went down, it was night, and the fire was winding, and he had to go into the forest to get to the other town. So, as he's getting farther away from his town, it's getting darker. Middle of the night, pitch black, getting darker and darker, and he's getting farther away from the town, it's getting darker and darker. Finally, it's pitch black. And he keeps walking in the darkness, and walking, and finally, after about 20 minutes, all of a sudden, it starts getting light. It starts getting a little lighter. And he's getting farther away from the town but it starts getting a little lighter. And he keeps walking, and it's more light. How does that make sense? He, he's getting farther away from the town. How is it slowly getting lighter? What's the answer? This is already light from the town that he's headed to. He's already getting closer to the next town. And so the light that he's starting to see, that's coming from the next town already. So Pinchas Karatsu said, the second temple was destroyed, and it got really dark. The Jewish people got really dark. And now after the destruction, it got darker and darker. And if you know the history of the Jewish people, it got darker and darker. The dwindling of generations. So finally, all of a sudden, in the middle of like, you know, the, the 16th century, the Zohar was revealed. The Zohar was revealed. To this day, academics smash their heads against the wall trying to prove that the Zohar came back then. Where was it until the 1500s, right? The Zohar was revealed. A couple of, about 150 years later, the Arizal came and revealed Kabbalah. 
was the father of Kabbalah. We actually built the system of Kabbalah. So took to, and literally took the ideas of the Zohar and, and showed the, the, the essential meaning of what all Kabbalah is. And then, another hundred years after that, the Balshemtiv came to the world. We're getting farther away from the Second Temple. Don't we believe in the descent of generations? You read us the Doris? Of course we do. It's getting much darker. But there's already some light from the third base of Mikdash, from Mashiach. Chesidus is a light from the, where we're headed to. Chesidus is a taste of that light that we're headed to. Because what is Mashiach? That we'll all be one with Hashem. Like we said, God without garments. Learning Chesidus now means to start doing that. And I'll, I'll finish off by saying, at least this segment, I don't know if you want to hear me anymore, but, but <laughs> one of the greatest Hasidic teachers that ever lived is a Jew, was a Jew by the name of Rabbi Khan, Khan, he passed away a couple of years ago, and he used to say over the following marshal, he said he heard it from, from a, a non-Chabad source, but said that Rabbi Shimba Yochai came to the world with a Zohar to show the map of how to ascend to God. The Arizal then came with Kabbalah and built a ladder to show how you could actually get there. And the Baal Shem Tov came to the world that said, you don't need a map and you don't need a ladder because God is right here. Without clothing, when you take away all God's clothing, all the manifestations, it's just God. That's all there is. And Hasidus means learning how to rest in that and thereby partaking of the light of Mashiach. And at this time, we're all going through such horrible things in the world. We all need to taste that light of Mashiach. We need to feel Hashem. It's the only thing we could anchor ourselves to. It's the only thing that's certain. The only one thing that we could always hold on to is Hashem. My grandmother, my Babi, she used to say to me when I was a kid, all the time, it was one of the many traumatic things that she said to traumatize me and need many years of therapy. (laughs) She used to say, you know, my bedtime stories was about like the cattle cars and stuff. So, so she used to traumatize me. She used to say to me, don't forget, they can take everything away from you except what you have here. That's what she said. They can take everything away from you except what you have in your mind. And chesidus is about having God in your mind. Being able to focus on God. Being able to meditate on God. That's Yitzhak Kisle. That's the light of Mashiach. And so we should be Zoichim Hashem from this Fabrenia of Yitzhak We should all strengthen ourselves, learn Chesidus, and learn all of Torah. Because once you, once you learn Chesidus says what, what Gemara is, then you'll dive into a page of Gemara. The Gemara is God's essence. And you bring it, you know, and don't forget, it's important for me to point out, I forgot to say, it's very important for me to say, the Alter Rebbe actually says in the Kutei Torah that in some ways, you get closer to God through Gemara than Chasidus. Because when you learn Chasidus and you're meditating on Hashem, they're very abstract concepts. When you learn Gemara and you learn about an ox goring a cow, you sure as heck know what that looks like. And that is God's essence. So the Alter says, Gemara, it might be God in a garment. Gemara might be God in a garment. But you have the whole king. When you understand what happens when an ox gores a cow, you have now brought the whole king into your mind. So we should be machazic ourselves in Limonator. You know, Yutas Kislev also, the minig always was, they have also a Chalukas Hashas. The minig the Alter Rebbe says, and there was a minig by Hasidim throughout, the, I'm sure that, I'm sure the Shluchim in New Jersey have, that there's, to give out Shas, that, that to learn to, to be Ayakasim on Shas, all of Gemara, because once we understand what Hasidim is, then we understand what Torah is, what it means to learn a page of Gemara.
What alerts Minitzun Chumash Rashi? We should be machazig ourselves, hug the king with garments, without garments, until final time when we're going to see Hashem in all his glory with Chumash Yitzhak Kenny Amen. 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 Amen.